Today, I want to take a little different turn because we as God's people, if you're a child of God, and even as New Hope Chapel and other churches of, 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 of God, of Christ, we together, we as his church, have this mandate together collectively across this planet. And it's a beautiful thing. We sang about it a couple times in a couple of songs. We sang about the church and we sang about the kingdom. Let your church be a part of the building of your kingdom. Unleash your power. Let it expand. And God uses His church, His called out ones who have been selected by God Himself. Because, not because we're special, but because God is special and He chooses to choose you because He wants to. And we're His. And He saved us. And now He says, there are others who I want to use you to, to send that message and to be an example to and to share the gospel and bring them into the kingdom as the church goes out, his people go out, as the church is built up. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to give you some encouragements this morning, as well as maybe some challenges, but encouragements to remind you that as his church, what that all looks like, and to remind you of Jesus' relationship to the church as we stay on mission. Three things that I want to remind you of, but I want to start, and I want to read for you, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, one verse as a springboard for what I'm going to share with you this morning. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And of course, the context is here, where, just in a summation, where Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, the one who's sent from God. This is Peter's confession, where he realizes, he knows, not because he came to terms with it in his own mind intellectually, but the Spirit of God revealed it to him. And he says here, after, after Jesus blesses him for that, when, when he answers that he's the Son of God, after Jesus asks him, well, who, who am I? But he also says in verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it or prevail. Now, I'm not going to focus on this verse and break it down. We've heard sermons about this and we've heard teachings about this. That's not my objective this morning. My focus is just three words. I will build. And I'll add two more and make it five. My church. I will build my church. Just momentarily. For this morning and even as context. Let's put Peter aside. Let's put aside his confession just, just for today. Those are critical to all of this. We understand that if you're a Christian and if you have studied the word, you know how important that is. But the focus this morning is Jesus' words specifically. I will build my church. Really, really, really important. And so what that says and what that tells us as we start, the first thing that I want to remind you of and encourage you with as, as, as his church and, and Jesus' relationship to us is this. That first, Jesus is the architect and he's the builder of his church. He, more specifically, is the supreme architect and he's the master builder. You know what's beautiful about this is that we have in our world and throughout history, there have been many people throughout history who have built their own church in the name of Jesus. But Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And throughout history, we have, I, 
I'm not going to go through a lesson or, or go through all the examples, but there have been many personalities and individuals who have built their own church in the name of Jesus. But Jesus says, I will build my church. It's His church, right? The Holy Spirit, when you look throughout Scripture, this is a beautiful thing. He is the agent who gathers all the material needed for this construction project. Did you know that? I mean, as I referenced a moment ago, all these other individuals who have built their church in the name of Jesus, right? Jesus chooses the materials. People don't choose the materials that will make up the church of Jesus Christ. You don't get to choose who's going to be a part of the church of Christ. I know there's no response because some of you secretly in your heart might be disappointed in that. Why? Because we are prejudiced. We struggle with that. We have, we have slants and bents and personality differences and clashes. And, and so we'd like to be able to choose who can be part of the church of Christ. And you know where it starts oftentimes? And there's an example of this in Scripture, right? Of those coming to the kingdom. Jonah was one of those. He did not want to go to Nineveh. He might have fought some prejudices. He fought some fears. He didn't like those people. They were terrible, horrible, scary people. How can I go there? We feel the same way sometimes. And it starts, we start this trend in our mind of how we determine who, what the materials are in the church by choosing who we decide to share the gospel with. That's not our choice. Our job is to share the gospel with everyone and especially when the Holy Spirit prompts our heart and He tells us in a certain situation and the opportunity is there, we share the gospel. It doesn't matter how different they are from us. It doesn't matter if their personality is as different from ours as white is from black. We share the gospel and sometimes when we're not careful, we allow ourselves and even the enemy to come in and say, ah, you know what, I'm not so sure they're really part of the body of Christ. It's not your choice. That isn't your choosing. It is the choosing of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the architect and builder of His church. Period. He chooses the materials to build with. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, and I will turn there so that it's not just my words. It is the words of the Apostle Paul when he makes this, these, these, this statement about the church. In Ephesians 2, 19, he says... So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, a metaphor for the church of Christ, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The stone upon which everything else is built on that structure, that household, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the, where the foundation starts. And then on the cornerstone, he had the apostles and the, prof, the prophets. And he continued to build. And at that house, that structure was being built up. And those living stones were being added by the Holy Spirit, by Christ's choosing as the master builder and architect of his church. You know, this construction project, if you call it that, the church that he's building, that he said, I will build my church is not his first construction project. Think about the universe. 
Jesus was there, and Colossians tells us that he was there in the beginning, and he was part, as part of the Trinity, the Godhead. He was there at creation. And do you know that when God spoke that word, and in six days he creates everything we see in this physical world. He creates all that we see, and he constructed it and fashioned it. He engineered it and designed it and caused it to work in such a way that is breathtaking and mind-blowing all at the same time. It's overwhelming if you really are honest about the details within the natural order of things. It's intelligent design. It's perfect design. It functions so amazingly and beautifully. And you know, he, it's not his first project. He built the universe. Everything that we see in it. And I love what Psalm 102 says. Psalm 102 reads this. The psalmist wrote these words. And he actually says this several times in Scripture. But in Psalm 102, verse 25, he says, Of old, you did found the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Long time ago, God, you made all, the, all of this. The heavens are the work of your hands. You know, he just, it, it's like the whole universe. Think about that. And yeah, you know what? There's the moon and I'll just put my fingerprint in it and there's a crater. You know, just, oh, you know, oh, I know it's water. But you know what? How about the Grand Canyon? Let's just make a pathway. And yeah, I might use water, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, I'm going to make a pathway. You know, you want that star there? Just fling it out there, exactly where I want it, right there. Just think about that. How my, it's, so think about, take that image, and now put yourself and shrink it down to you as being part of the body of Christ, a person of faith who is born again, and you're now in the body of Christ, the household of faith, and Jesus is your cornerstone, your rock, your foundation, if you will, where you are built on, and the teaching of the apostles and the prophets and their faith, we're building on that. We rest and stand on that. It's not his first project. He chooses the materials to build. You don't get to do that. Let me ask you a question this morning. A really, a really serious question. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to ask it twice. And I'll let the Holy Spirit just work in your heart. Is Jesus your cornerstone? Or is he just an ornamental stone in your life? I'll ask you again. Is Jesus your cornerstone? Or is he just an ornamental stone? Big, big difference. So he chooses the materials to build as the architect and builder of his church. But he also, secondly, places the materials where they should go. He places where they should go. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Peter says that as living stones that we are being, he's talking to Christians, by the way, that we are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. He places the materials where they should go. You know, this is another one of those things. And I think some of us have struggled with this. So I'm just being real and practical here if I could. Very down to earth if it's possible to say it that way. You know, we often want to decide which stones Jesus or God uses to build his church. But once, the, once those stones are brought into and they're part of the construction project and we see them, you know, like they come into the body of Christ, they're saved. Sometimes we get in the habit or we, we might want to play God and, and take on the role of architect and designer. And then we want to place those people where they, we think they should go. In, in, in the building of the church. 
Not just that we choose who they are in the first place, but where they should be in the body of Christ. Now, you know what, Sharon? You really shouldn't be really close to the cornerstone. I think Preston should have that spot. You should be over there. And because of that, I don't like that you think you should be there. Remember, you didn't place her there in the first place. Don't try to move your brother and sister somewhere else in the building. That's Jesus' job. That's Jesus' job to do. He's the architect and builder of his church. You know why that's important? Because as Paul writes in Corinthians, your giftings, your abilities are not the same as everybody else's and vice versa. You have some giftings and abilities somebody else doesn't. And so when we're positioned just right in the household that, 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 that's being built with the living stones, it works the best. Right? It just does. Now, there's a problem. There's a problem. And it's this. And it comes down to this simple thing. That just as Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifice, Peter writes that we are living stones. You know what the problem with that is? Is that as living sacrifices, we want to get off the altar. We're still alive. And so it's an act of the will where we have to surrender and submit ourselves. We're alive, but we're being submitted on that altar of sacrifice for God's service. Whatever you want, do with me whatever you want. But the same applies here. That as living stones, we can tend to be dissatisfied with what God has done for us and given for us and where he's placed us within the body And suddenly we start looking around and we compare ourselves and we start questioning God. And then we say what Paul wrote about the potter and the clay in Romans. And we say, God, why are you making me this way? Why did you put me here? And Paul says, do you really have the right as the clay to say that to the potter? That's the problem with living stones. And then we get hung up on that. But God, we have the Moses syndrome, but I don't don't speak very well. So how can I be... You know, and go to Pharaoh and talk to him. Don't worry, I'll take care of that part too through, through Aaron. Don't worry about it. God knows what he's doing. But we're living stones. We challenge God. He wouldn't just question. So as we challenge God and dare him to say, did you really, there's no way that you really put me here with these giftings and I'm supposed to be a living stone in your household, your church. Remember and be encouraged that Jesus is the architect and builder of his church. Don't break Don't break up or break what God or how God is bonding together the living stones in his church. Don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus is the architect and builder. Secondly, second encouragement. Jesus, as we continue on our mission as his church, and we're going to see the kingdom grow because we're faithful to the mandate that is to preach his message Remember that Jesus isn't just the architect and builder of his church, but remember that Jesus is the head and the protector of his church. I won't cover all the things that Jesus, these are just three things, these are things I've chosen this morning, but Jesus is the head and the protector of his church. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 to 18, and I'm turning there and I'll get there quickly, but in Colossians chapter 1, In verses 17 and 18, Paul writes these words about Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, without him, they're loose and all over the place. 
But in him, they're like this. He does that. He does that. And listen to verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. Did you know that? Do you remember that? Do you forget that sometimes? Sometimes we do. Even, even, even momentarily or in, in strange, very subtle ways, we forget that he's the head of the church because we want to take control or we want to realign things or move the living stones or bricks around in his kingdom. We start doing that. We forget that he's the head. He's the master builder and architect, but he's the head of his church. And it says... And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. He is boss. He's preeminent. He is boss. He is boss Jesus, right, of the project. And he is the Lord, and he is the head. He is the lead of this project. And he's the leader, and he takes and moves forward with his church. He goes before us. He calls the shots. That's not comfortable in a time and in an era when we praise and we love autonomy and being self-autonomous and doing what we want, how we want, when we want, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 you, you can't go there. But, but why? Because that will, that, will, that will corrupt you or that will defile you. But, 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 it's, but it's not that bad. No, no, you can't go there. He's the head. We take his lead. And can I already say that he's such a good leader and he's so clear that he gave us Instructions. But I... Yeah, but... But I heard. We say things like that. He's the leader. And what he says goes. Not what we say goes. We have to guard ourselves against that. He is the head. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul addresses a very similar thing like he did in Colossians. But it speaks of his leadership being the head. And and that's really, really important. And, And to remind that as the leader, he goes before us. We've mentioned this many times that Jesus never asks us to do something he didn't do first. I mentioned that last week as well. He's a leader that's fearless. He goes before us and he models for us what we ought to do. And that also means that as as the head and the protector of his church, that Jesus has the power, as I read in Colossians, that he holds all things together. He has the power to protect his church and to keep his church together. You might remember in John chapter 10 that Jesus talks and he shares one of his I am statements. And in chapter 10 of John, Jesus shares the I am statement that is this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he talks in that chapter extensively about the shepherd and the sheep and that relationship and what goes on there. I am the good shepherd. And there are many things that he does there. And he says that he lays down for his life for his sheep. He's the gate for the sheep. He would lay down in front of that gate and he would protect his sheep that are in the fold so much so that he would even die for them when the wolf comes and tries to attack. He will put himself in front of that gate. He'll die for his sheep. That's how, and he, and, and, he, and, and he did, and he rose again, and he's living, and he'll defend to the death. He will defend all the way till the end. He has the power to do that. He holds all things together. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like. Sorry, Preston and Cohen. This was the, 
most beautiful thing. Sharon and I still get a kick out of this, if we remember this every once in a while. And we used to do it when they did this. So we'd go to the beach. We'd love to go to the beach. And we would go, and Preston and Cohen, when they were younger, they still do it, actually. But we're going back five, six, like a long time ago, right? Five, six years ago, like a really long time ago in your lifetime, right? So we would go back. That's a time. And they, they, would, they, would, they would create, we would have, we put our beach chairs in. And I want you to get this visual, because this, this, is, this is what it's like with Jesus. We'd set up camp, put up our umbrella, we'd have our area. And Preston and Cohen would put their shovels and all their sand digging tools in front of it. They'd claim an area right in front. And it was always bigger than I thought was appropriate, but that's okay, because there was no people around. So they took up this area. And they would cordon it off. They would put these little orange pylons or whatever else, they would, they would demark, like, this is my land. And they'd start digging. They'd make holes. Some are huge, by the way. They'd make these huge holes with seats in them. They'd sit in there, right, Preston? Mm-hmm. See, he was proud of that work. He remembers. He's like, yeah, right? They would do things like he'd make these holes, and then he'd make, a seri- he'd make tunnels out of sand, bri- actually bridges out of sand with holes in them, and they would stay intact. He, put a lo- he had a plan. This goes back to the first point. He's the master architect and builder along with Cohen. And oftentimes, Preston would boss Cohen around and tell him what to do. But anyway, because he had a plan. So he would tell Cohen what to do. No, don't go there this far. They would mark it off. And they would do this, right? And they would have those cones up. And they were done. They would sit back and look at it. And I remember, Sharon, you remember this? They would get, soon as little kids or people would come by it, they would jump up and they'd get over there and they'd be like, they would, they would, they would, am I making this up? I'm not making it up. They, they, would, they would block off. They would not let other people go because they didn't want that bridge crushed. They didn't want that hole to cave in on the side to get our kid to jump in and ruin the seat that was in this massive hole with a chair they made out of sand in there. They didn't want that. They did everything. They took any moment. Anyone came near. They came by, and it was like they made sure where they were there so the kids knew, this is mine, man. Just keep your distance, like, you know. And a few times, they even sent kids away. Now, who likes that? Because you're at the beach, you should all, like, you know, share that. Here's the point. The same way that Preston and Cohen, especially Preston, when he, he protected, he protected what he designed and planned as an architect and designer. What he did, he went to great lengths to protect that. And it's a picture of what Jesus would do for his church and what he does for his church and what he does for you. Even when it looks like things are so dark and bleak, look at our world, it's on fire. I know it sounds so negative, but it is. But yet we carry on like nothing's happening. That's how it's going to be in the last days, Peter said. But our world's on fire, if you will. It is. Look around us. Yeah, and yet we have Jesus. And, and yet we, we can get, it can be daunting. We can get nervous. But we have a head of the church who is so powerful, he will protect it till the end. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You will never be drugged back into, you know, the, the fires of hell, or Satan won't grab you and pull you back. God, you are protected. It will not, those gates of hell will not prevail because Jesus is the head and protector of his church, just as Preston is the protector of his sand project. No one's coming near, and when they do, he makes sure no one messes it up. Don't mess up God's plan and design. You can't, but don't try to. Don't even try to, right? So he has that power. So let me just tell you this. Are you trusting his power? And are you obeying his instructions? In other words, are you submitting to his leadership? That it's, and, and, 
so that he stays consistent with his design and plan till the end when his kingdom will ultimately be established on earth when he comes back, physically established. Trust his power and obey his instructions. He is the head and protector of his church. Thirdly and lastly, Jesus is the king of his church. It's similar to the lead and the head. Yes, it is. And he's the groom coming for his church. He is the king and groom coming for his church. Now, I could have elected to use other words as well, but I'm saying king and groom because there's a reason. Because as king of his kingdom, he is the ultimate authority. Again, he is the ultimate authority on how his church is built, but he is the ultimate authority on how vast, expansive, and large his kingdom will be. He determines that, and he's still building it through his church. He decides the time of his return as the king. And he's a soon-coming king as well, not just groom. He decides when he's coming back. Listen, there are so many, so many voices out there that are saying, Jesus is coming this time, he's coming that time, he's going to come at this year, this hour. Do you know that a lot of you may not even have noticed, and it's okay, by the way, it's probably better, but a couple weeks ago with Rosh Hoshana, there was a whole movement of people on the internet, all kinds of stuff, people that were so engrossed in, he's coming this week, and I know the Feast of Trumpets, he's coming because the trumpet of the Lord's going to sound, and all this timing in the world, everything going on, and the red heifer being prepared down in Texas to be shipped to Israel, and so on and so forth for the construction of the temple. All, if you connect all these things, I know I'm rambling, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. All this stuff being, and it's happening. It really is happening. Jesus is coming soon. But people said, he's definitely coming that weekend. We're like two weeks past that or so. Now, I don't say that like, ha, 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 because he's coming. And Jesus himself said, he's going to come at a time you don't expect. And he doesn't himself even know when he's coming. Only the Father knows. And when he tells the Son to come, he will. He will. You know what? So our job isn't to determine the exact time he's coming. Our job is to be determined to be prepared for when he does come. Right? He's the king. He decides at his return. Trust his plan and trust his timing. Because you know what happens with a lot of these people? And we can get so wrapped up in determining exactly when Jesus is coming that all of a sudden we forgot about the mission of who he's coming for in the first place. He's coming for all the people that he's going to call to be part as living stones in his church and to be part of his kingdom. That's what he's, that's what he's coming for. And we forget that if we get so wrapped up in just determining exactly when Jesus comes. Do you remember the parable of, of the talents and, and, and Jesus shared in Matthew 25. It's a picture of Jesus being the Lord of the land. And there's going to be an accounting one day. He's the king of the land. It's his. He's the king. He rules that. And he came back and he gave these talents, these individuals, five, two, and one. And he went away on a journey. Jesus goes away. He's coming back one day, right? God has a plan. What will we answer? Will we be busy or are we going to just worry about when he comes back and bury our talents and then do nothing at all and not allow us to be part of this explosion of, of reaping that should be happening of souls and be a part of that and bring souls to the kingdom of God with his help? Don't miss out on that. Use your talents. Use what God has given you. Don't bury it. Trust his plan and timing. He's the king of his kingdom. But also, he's the groom. You know, the Bible says, there are many metaphors, but the Bible says, Paul says in Ephesians 5, that's a great chapter. It's a great chapter on marriage as well. I love it, right? But also in Revelation 19 and 21, that the church 
is Jesus's bride. His bride. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. And as the groom, you know, think about this. He's coming. We're waiting. And there's that parable of the bridesmaids that Jesus shared. And the, the, or, the, or the ten virgins or bridesmaids. And, and they're waiting. And five were foolish, five were unwise. The difference is, is that five were prepared and five weren't. Are you prepared? How do you get prepared? I'm going to sum it up as simply and as generically as possible. I know there's more, more than one way, but I'll summarize it this way. The best way to be prepared for the groom is to be busy about getting ready and doing his work for the wedding. Be busy doing his work. And by the way, I'll reference this again because that's all we got. He tells us how to get ready. He gives instructions on how we ought to live, how we treat people, and how we stay true and focused on the mission of advancing the gospel. That's how we are prepared and ready ourselves for his return. We stay in the word. We stay in prayer. We do all those things. We talked about that in prior weeks. And then so we, the oil, we keep staying connected and full of the oil and the Holy Spirit and the word and the truth and mission that we have. And we, we're ready. We're anticipating because he could come at any single time. And when that trumpet sounds, when the call is made that the wedding is on, here comes the groom. Will you be ready? Jesus is the king and groom coming for his church. Are you ready? You know what the thing is? We have this thing called engagement in our culture. People get engaged, right? And it means they're going to get married, right? And the thing is, for all practical purposes, engagement, now for a lot of people it means more, but in general, engagement is that you have, you're showing that you have the intent to be married. In the Old Testament, in the scriptures, and in this culture, when you're betrothed, when you're betrothed to someone, it's a different concept. You have committed to marry them. In a certain sense, you're already married to them. Right? You're bound. Our engagements, unfortunately, is like, there is no, that, that's why, no, anyway, stay on track, Bob. There's, this is a powerful thing. We are betrothed to Jesus. And, and he is, he, we're, we're engaged and we're going to be married to him in returns, and it's going to consummate that marriage supper of the Lamb. We're not just intending to marry him. We are committed to him for our lives, and there is anticipation for that day when he comes back. And that requires preparation. Faithfulness to him until he comes back to get us. Now, we're almost closing here, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 7, I'm not going to bore you, and it's not boring. It's actually very instructive, as all Scripture is. But Paul writes about marriage. He writes about marriage. He writes about whether you should be married, those who are single, those who are widowed, and if you are married, what you should do, all kinds of instructions. And he, and he gives them, it's there. A lot of it is there. Very clear. Some of it you have to figure out and read through, but it's very... And in verse 35, right in the middle of this chapter, well, towards the end, he says this. He says... And this I say for your own benefit, after talking about all his rules and instructions about marriage. He says, I'm not saying this to put, you, put a restraint upon you. Another translation says, I don't want to put a leash on you. I'm not trying to bind you and keep you stuck in a place you don't like. That's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you this because, he says, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. 
You know what he was saying? I'm not trying to bind you and restrict you. I'm saying all this, no matter what you're, where you are in life, whether you're married, you're a widow, you're single, whatever you are, whatever your marriage picture is like. He says, it's all about this. Are you fully devoted to Jesus or not? And it better be. That, that, I want you to be fully devoted to Christ. Not partially, not just engaged. Betrothed. Because he talks in this chapter 2, and he talks in other scriptures that we are married to another, which is Jesus Christ. We are married to somebody else. We are married to another. That is Christ. He, we are already betrothed. We're on our way. We're married, and yet we're going to be married. It's a beautiful thing. Are we ready for Jesus as the King and Groom is coming first church very soon? Get ready. Get ready. Are you preparing? What's consuming you? What's distracting you? What's deceiving you? What's turning your eyes completely off of the mission and off of the master architect and builder and the head and protector of his church and the king and groom who's coming at any minute. Like any minute. I don't know. I don't know. But it could be any time. Are you prepared? Be busy. Look up. Spread the word. And this really comes down to one word. When we talk about the church and Jesus with all his roles and all his positions he has within the church and what he does for us. And the mission that we have as we talked about this whole month comes down to this one thing. There must be an urgency. There must be an urgency. Now, I said urgency. I'm not here to guilt you. That's not not the point of this. There must be an urgency that we tell as many people about Jesus as we can with our lives, with our mouth, with every way we can. We're not shy about our faith. And then we, we, we proclaim Christ. I didn't say we have to panic. That's different than urgency. Right? Yeah. It's a different, that's different altogether. I didn't say you have to be frantic. That's crazy. <gasps> Jesus is coming, and then we don't know what to do. We're just all over, and we just and we just get. We're like discombobulated and we're like, there's no rhyme or reason and we start just getting weird. And some people have. And they end up being like doomsday preppers and they misinterpret what it means to prepare for Jesus' coming. (laughs) Sorry if you're one of those. Calm down. (laughs) Jesus is coming. And listen, we've got to have a sense of urgency because we know that time is short. You don't save anybody. But I will say that Jesus saves many through you. I don't want to miss the opportunity of sharing with somebody and seeing the joy of them coming to faith in Christ because we were faithful to the mission and all of a sudden we can welcome them in as living stones and allow God to place them where he wants us in the body of Christ and then share that life and journey together. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that, that joy of salvation, right? But I also don't want to miss the negative side of this. I don't want to miss saving people who are on their way to hell without Jesus. They are. They are. You know, it's like a house fire. If you saw, if your neighbor's house was burning, 
you came out and you saw smoke coming from out of the window or out of the roof, what would you do? Would there be urgency? Now, yes, there might be a certain panic and, and, and franticness. Is that a, a, a word? You might be frantic about that a little bit. But you would, there would be an urgency like immediately, now i got to get help. And not only that, can I add to that? You wouldn't just say, I've got to pick up 911 right now. You would actually go to the house. I think most of you would. I, I have faith in that. Not that you're crazy and diving into the fire. Maybe some of you would because you're brave and you would. because you. Can. But we would at least go to the house and yell and try to find out if somebody's in there. Wouldn't you? Because if you wouldn't, I'm just being honest. Man, how cold are you? How dead are you to the fact that there is a living person possibly in that house? That's horrible. Oh, it's burning. 901, can I help you with your emergency? Yeah, there's a house next door. It's on fire. Yeah, 20 foot flames. Is anybody in there? I don't know. Why don't you know? Eh, I can't be bothered. Doesn't that sound really unnatural? No, I'm being serious. Does that not sound unnatural? It doesn't sound natural. It doesn't sound like what we would do. It doesn't even sound, even if you're not a Christian, it doesn't sound instinctive, if I could put it that way. And yet, our world, as I referenced early, is on fire. Have you looked? I I hardly don't because it's so discouraging. Do you see what's going on in our world? Jesus is coming. That's what I mean, that it's on fire. The, the time is short. The world's on fire. With, there's never been such a culmination and, and so much natural disasters, social chaos and violence and everything else going on. False Jesus is preached, all kinds of things, all at once and so much of it. And yet, we're carrying on. Like nothing's going on around us and there's smoke everywhere and we're like, Eh, someone else will call. Someone else will check in the front door and knock and see if somebody's in there. Do you have a sense of urgency or are you just comfortable because you're okay? I, I don't know how else to say it. It's a time for us to have a sense of urgency because Jesus is coming. I close and we'll pray. Second Peter said in chapter 3, Verses 8 and 9. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. In verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise to come back. As some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. He's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The house is on fire. Will you go check to see if somebody's in it? God help us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your kingdom and your church is being built and has been established by you yourself, Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that as your church in this world, building and expanding your kingdom on this earth, God, I pray that we would Be heralds of that gospel, Lord, and unashamedly so. Knowing that you've got our back, that you're with us, you empower us. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, that we would, Lord, just uh, 
have that sense of urgency knowing that you're coming back so soon that we ourselves would be preparing ourselves and that we would spread the word so that others would be prepared. Father, thank you for your clear message. Thank you for the clear opportunities that have been presented over the past five weeks. And I pray that as others are presented to us in the future, that we, Lord, would roll up our sleeves and we would serve alongside one another with as living stones being built up by you. That we'd be that living house with living stones, God serving the living King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the groom coming for his church. And thank you that you will keep us and protect us all the way until we get home to be with you. God, we give you ourselves. We commit ourselves to you and help us be faithful to your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Jesus is with you. Amen.